Welcome to a special edition of Relics of Ore, very similar to a previous intro I did that you guys watching this will not be able to see. I'm joined this week by Malkior Devonholm. How are you doing this week, Mal? I'm doing really good, man. I'm super excited. Yes, it's super exciting because we have studio design director from ArenaNet, Chris Whiteside, on the line from us immediately after your Chinese release. Congratulations on that. How are you guys feeling the first few hours in? Very, very excited. It's great to play with um, what is now a, a global community and um, seeing the world through uh, their eyes. It's all fresh again and new, and it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I'm kind of waiting for you, uh, for the the listeners that won't have heard this, but I just got pranked with a question by these guys like two minutes ago. I'm just waiting for the next prank question and just put me on the spot. Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, from that, I'm great. Thank you for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us. And thank you for taking the time to talk. To talk to us as well. This is this is awesome. This has been sort yeah, of like and thanks for being such a good sport. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What goes around comes around. Oh, oh no. Sir. Oh no. <laughs> so to start off with, why don't we uh, we just have a few questions sort of about you in general, so that people can get to know you better. I know that a lot of times with the internet community, people sometimes have a hard time. Like they'll they'll see this name attached to a dev post or something they'll be like that man is my nemesis or something and they have a hard time relating to 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 red names as a as people so part of what we're going to open up with is a discussion is just asking you a few questions about you know who you are both in your life in games in game that sort of thing and get people to know who chris whiteside is so that when they see you post they say oh it's that guy i like him so it's that guy and i, I still don't like him <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that I am indeed a person, um, so that that's a good start. So do you, you want me to talk about that now, or have you guys got some more pranks yeah. for me? <laughs> I think the pranks are done. Yeah, just okay. uh, yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about maybe family education, just some general stuff about yourself leading well, into how you sort of got into games. Educated in the mean streets of England. No, uh, seriously, um, so how did I get into games? Uh, I got into games by uh, doing silly concepts on A3 sheets of paper and sending them off to poor people that had to look at these silly concepts. Um, and I did that for about two years, and no one was interested at all. And then all of a sudden, uh, quite a few companies were interested, and um, I got my first break as a QA uh, technician at Codemasters. Um, and then my second break uh, uh, as a game designer at Co-Masters and did some really fun racing games and then uh, worked for some other companies and then found myself uh, in the good old US of A. Um, worked on uh, Need for Speed um, and some uh, you know, social um, media games and so on. And all that time uh, I was getting home as quick as I could playing uh, you know, online worlds such as Ultima, um, EverQuest, World of Warcraft. I've played pretty much everything. Eve, um, Age of Conan. Play. I, I, I just consume. I'm one of those locusts that, that consumes MMOs. Although I do, I do settle on favourites. And I never really thought, you know, I'd done pretty well with the games I'd done um, for all the companies I've worked on. But it was my dream to work um, uh, with online games. I never really thought I'd got, get the opportunity. And uh, I did get the opportunity. I got invited to come up and meet um, the folks at ArenaNet, uh, and they asked me if I would be interested in helping them uh, land the game as the lead producer uh, for uh, Guild Wars 2, and I was like, no, you know, I've never done that before. I'm not going to do that. That's not good for anyone. Um, and uh, they convinced me, and, uh, and so we did that, and it was fantastic. Um, and now I look after the, um, the uh, game design team and the game director group, and uh, everything is roses. And then in terms of, you know, uh, my family are very patient. Uh, they, you know, they've traveled a lot with me, and uh, I think they're really happy here now. Um, and uh, education-wise, not really much to talk about there. Um, it may be over a drink or something, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, probably not for this, uh, for this conversation. <laughs> so you came from, I know everyone usually starts at some level of QA, went up through development design, 
And then first job, bam, here, why don't you be lead producer for our release? How how did that come about? They just contacted you? Well, so no, it wasn't. It was, so I should give you more information then. I've been in the business for 15 years. So I basically started um, in QA and then basically went to uh, game design, then became a lead game designer. Then I worked for Acclaim Studios, worked on Extreme G Racing, uh, two of those. Um, and then uh, I worked at a company called Big Big um, and was the lead designer and then game director on Pursuit Force 1 and 2, which was on PSP. Um, then I came over, worked for uh, EA on Need for Speed. Um, and so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of other games before I got to this one. So really, you know, I went from being a lead designer to a creative director and then design director. And so that's how I learned, um, you know, best working practices and process for production, uh, how to get, you know, AAA quality in games and how to get the very best out of the team. Um, and uh, I had a friend that was working at Arena and he I'd worked with him before at EA and he uh, he spoke to Mo, who's our studio head, and said, you know, you should talk to this guy. And so Mo watched a presentation I did uh, for VFS, um, got on the phone with me. We chatted for about two hours. Then we had another chat. And then, then uh, you know, the timing wasn't quite right. Um, and uh, then the timing got right. And uh, I came up to visit the studio and that was kind of that. But going, you're right, going from, you know, creative direction and design direction to the producer role was, I guess, most cool. Um, he could see... I assume you'd have to ask him uh, in the interviews that uh, I was the right guy um, at the time to basically help the team uh, land the game, that my background and experience had everything uh, or some parts of what he needed um, and what the team needed. And so he could see that. Uh, and so he kind of had to convince me that that uh, it would, you know, it would end up being good. Um, and that's what happened. And I really haven't looked back. That is that is amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I never thought I'd get, you know, like I said, I would cycle home or drive home at the end of every day um, working on the games that I loved in the past. Uh, but my passion was online worlds and my friends in online worlds. And um, I never thought I'd get the opportunity because, you, you know, you do get pigeonholed in this business. Um, and, uh, you know, the leadership group and the team here uh, were kind enough to, um, you know, uh, kind of with open arms, see that I had potential in this space and, and, and we went from that. Yeah, that's amazing just for me to hear because I just recently got involved in my first QA job for an IT services company and I'm, I'm, I'm closing in on like eight months now. And so that had to be something that Mo saw and that other people saw. You just kept going up and up and up, always looking ahead. And yeah, so, Sorry, carry on. It's just proof that you can start at the bottom of the ladder and work your way up. It takes time, but you you can get there and you can chase your dreams. And I just love hearing that. Yeah, I, I, I can understand. I mean, we don't really see QA as, as the bottom of the ladder, but I can see why, why you know, it's certainly from outside the industry that that might be seen as the case. Uh, you know, we've got long-time, very experienced uh, QA technicians in our company who, for them, you know, it's a vocation. Um, and for me, it wasn't... Basically, it wasn't that I wanted to get uh, to the point where I was kind of getting higher and higher up. What I wanted to do was get to the point where I could affect more positive change for um, the team predominantly and then uh, the community following on from that, you know, and to make a great game. And so with each kind of uh, mountain or hill that you climb as you go through uh, learning how to be a game developer, uh, new uh, opportunities are you know, are made, uh, present themselves, and it's your choice. You get, you know, you you often come to a fork in the road as to, uh, you know, how you want to uh, continue with your career. And the, the further I got into it, the more I wanted to basically do my best to affect uh, change for the team and the community. Um, and so I kind of moved more into uh, a position where I could uh, ensure that uh, teams were given the time to uh, really produce great quality work, that they had a... Um, a good quality of life um, and that they were really enjoying what they were doing. Uh, there are definitely times where I miss kind of being more hands-on with decision-making around precise or, you know, uh, more micro pieces of content and that kind of thing. But I am, I, I, uh, uh, I, I'm very happy to come into work every day and see a happy team and, um, and see them make uh, a great game and be uh, happy while, while they're doing it. You talk about you just come in and 
kind of manage the people and the the practices, the processes. I know uh, for my company, we use agile development. I know you guys are the fastest agile crazy I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I did not speed, think what you guys were going to do with the two-week thing was possible. I looked at that. I was like, okay, I, I, I've done some coding. I've looked at how people do game development. This is not possible. <laughs> so, so check this out. Check this out. I was in Starbucks this morning. This is a true story. And there's this uh, kid behind the counter, and he's looking at me, and the place is pretty full. Um, and it's not that loud. And he basically looks at me, and he sees my T-shirt. And he goes, you're the guys that deliver content every two weeks. <laughs> I, like, I shouted back and said, hey, you should come and work for us in marketing. And we started talking about games, and he was talking about League of Legends. He's just started playing Guild Wars and how much he loves the, uh, the updates and so on. So, you know, that was pretty cool. But it was very unexpected. And everyone else in, in Starbucks is kind of looking over going, content every two weeks? You know, what, what are they talking about? What are they talking um, so what does it yeah, typical... Oh, go ahead. I'm So we have a production department. So I basically, I came in and worked to, uh, in the production group and um, managed that and then had the opportunity to move into the, the into the design group and, and manage that group. Um, and that's actually my background is design, obviously. Um, and so I took the opportunity because uh, it's something that I'm probably better trained in and more valuable to the company um, uh, for. So uh, I went that route. And we did. We have a fabulous production team, um, really, really good. You know, our, our development director is uh, Kristen Borneman. She's been doing a great job with Colin, who's our game director, and uh, uh, Gavin is our uh, head of production. And they've just been working with the technology groups uh, and the teams to allow us to basically put out content like this. I mean, it's not easy, and we're still uh, we're still working very hard in terms of uh, increasing the quality and maintaining the uh, velocity of of deployment and uh you know uh i think we're starting to really hit our stride and so what i do is um you know ultimately i'm responsible for the uh you know the design quality of everything that we put out of the studio but it isn't my job to basically design everything that we do uh it's my it's my job to um give the designers the tools that they need and guide them and act almost like a consultant to them when uh when they need my help uh to help guide them and give my commentary in regard to you know, whether I think a particular part of an event is good and what could be done to make it better uh, and so on. And then there's also working with the studio directors, um, the strategic level of uh, running the studio as a group, ensuring that um, we have uh, a really uh, a path to success moving forward and really exciting conversations about, uh, about the future. And one of those has kind of happened today, which was a conversation a long time ago, which is the launch of China. So it's an extra special day for everyone here in regard to actually seeing this happen and, and the birth of, uh, you know, ArenaNet's global community. It's just awesome. So as a studio design director every day, you're, you're kind of the one who's who's set the processes that everyone works through. You come in, offer a little consulting on the bits of content that they build and may, maybe even like how they code a specific segment or such. No, but, well, no. No? <laughs> So I, what I do is I uh, help uh, cultivate um, design best working practices and creative best working practices for the team. So it's more kind of creative based. So, you know, things like um, how we go from concept to completion and how we iterate during those phases is a piece of process. Uh, the engineers uh, and the producers and the artists and QA, they have their own kind of micro processes and then we have global processes that we all use together. So on a day-to-day -day basis, really, the processes are kind of already there. So we spend a lot of time um, looking at each other's work, uh, and I look at uh, the team's work. Um, and then there's also a lot of time spent talking about work that is just starting or hasn't started yet, um, as I'm sure you can imagine with the cadence and the velocity of which we deploy. Um, and so every day is comprised of um, work, the uh, discussion around the live environment, things that are going on in the game minute to minute, um, uh, work that is basically, uh, or, you know, uh, um, content that is about to go out and content that won't be coming out for a while. So it depends on a day-to-day -day basis and, and, and on the meetings that we have booked on those days as to what exactly gets done. But uh, each uh, 
uh, each section or you know each different part of the company like engineering uh, production marketing brand uh, art they are they all have their um, aligned processes and best working practices that they use it's my job to ensure that the design team is happy um, and that from a design standpoint um, the game is of the highest quality that it can be so absolutely i'll try and break it down real real all right let's see, let's see if you got it mal we the the role that chris would partake at the company i work for is practice manager you're, you're overseeing all the the global practices of the company that everyone has to then fit their individual practices and processes under has he got it yet no no no, no. no. all right i, I give up <laughs> Let's look at this then. Let's look at it from this point of view. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at think of a car analogy. Um, yes, I love car analogies. <laughs> the, old, the, the one we're all you know aware of. They're the amazing. I, I only ever use car analogies. Um, so basically, uh, I'm uh, the, I'm essentially the customer for the group that's building the car, and uh, I we we work together to spec out what the car is. And then basically the team builds it, uh, and I give them my support and tell them how I think it's going, how how I think it's doing from a design standpoint. Um, and then we iterate it and iterate on it to make sure it handles really well and that we win races. How about that? Okay, got it. Love car analogies; those are amazing. I would actually like to see you try and make this next question into a car analogy. What is your favorite profession or <laughs> main profession in Guild Wars Two? Or, or, or which one do you play the most? I like driving trucks, so my favorite profession is a warrior. There you go. <laughs> um, nice work. My, my favorite profession, uh, at the moment I'm learning to play a mesmer, but my main is a warrior, um, and he is a shout heal spec. Um, nice. 30, I think 34,000 hit points and you know all the good heals and all that kind of thing, and uh, he's, my, he's my favorite at the moment. Wow, he's got a what nice gear is he spec uh, with? Like what's his uh, soldier's gear and okay. uh, uh, runes of the Doliac. He's got all his trinkets are ascended. One ascended weapon. I haven't had the time to get full ascended gear yet. It's like you were yeah, trying to launch a game in okay. China, <laughs> yeah, amongst <laughs> other things. Yeah. So you've also been working on a mesmer as well. Yeah, on the Guild Wars Two China, I have a level eleven mesmer, which is fresh today, and I'm learning to play her, which is the first time. I've actually played with a female avatar in an MMO, so I'm still getting used to that. It's all a bit weird. That'll, that'll be cool, playing a fresh class, fresh experience, fresh world, and everyone coming in is new. That's going to be fun. Well, that's right. I really wanted to pick a class that I know isn't the easiest. To, you know, it's a cool class, but it requires skill. And obviously, I've had a lot of practice with the warrior, so I really wanted to basically go in with a, a class that I could, at least to a certain extent, be at the same level as other players in the world so I could really get a feeling for um, how they were going through the content, how we were sharing the content together and really look through um, Guild Wars 2 afresh again through their eyes, right? Yeah. As opposed to just going in and owning everything with my Leap Warrior. (laughs) (laughs) Cray sword, all the things. Yeah, Chainsword for the win. (laughs) Nice. All right, one more before we get to the the specific content stuff. So as Chris Whiteside, the guy, not Chris Whiteside, the dev, what, what's the type of content that you play the most, whether it be in Guild Wars 2 or other MMOs of the past? Are, are you a raiding guy? Are you a PvP guy? I am a raiding guy. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So um, I love playing with other players uh, to defeat challenging content. I love the the social elements that that has, you know, over team speak and chat and so on. Um, I love like discovering um, not just new aspects of the world through completely charging content, but discovering um, the psychology of play of how people react to um, challenging content and how they work together and really seeing um, what makes people tick. You know, going back to the first question about or the second question about. What I do on a day-to-day basis, really what I do is I'm a problem solver. That's my job. I'm really good at problem solving. Um, and I love working um, with teams and helping them to solve their problems. So it makes sense that my favorite style of gameplay is problem solving in a team environment. So uh, if anything, actually, uh, playing games like EverQuest at uh, the highest level of um, 
of raid content and World of Warcraft as well. There's no, it, it certainly impacted my ability to um, work well and understand the psychology of, uh, of how people work together and how to get the very best out of people. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's, it's, uh, it's totally true. Um, I, the, you know, for every uh, hour that I've been uh, in an online game in that kind of environment, it certainly helped me in terms of my career as a developer in online worlds. That, that, that's really, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, it was actually through my experience with MMOs that I was able to apply for the QA job that I eventually got to um, get, pretty much work at. And that's because I developed so many problem-solving skills through leading raids and such like that. So I 100% agree with you. Yeah, it's great. I'm really glad you you, uh, you landed that gig. It's uh, any chance to get into this. I mean, for me, when I before I got into games, I thought that um, this is back in the day with black and white television because obviously I'm that old. Um, you know, I never, I didn't realize that people made games. I thought they just appeared. They just manifested themselves. You know what I mean? There was a wizard um, out there. He had a wand. Things happened. Yeah. And then games magazines started coming out. And foolishly, the games magazines would publish the addresses of games companies to send your feedback. It's not foolish, but oh my. You know, I'm sure I upset a lot of people with my stupid designs. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, it was then that I realized, hey, the real people make games. Um, and at that point, I thought, well, you know, there's no chance, but uh, at least I, it keeps me off the streets, the harsh streets of the UK, <laughs> to sit there, you know, drawing with crayons on the A3 sheets of paper. Um, and uh, so uh, any, if you're driven and you're passionate and you're vocational and you care about those around you and you care about the community, uh, especially online communities, then, you know, it's really, the world really is your oyster. As long as you've got the drive, um, and you're vocational, you just keep moving forward and, um, uh, and uh, trying to do better and better. And, you know, you, you never reach a plateau. Um, you just have to keep working, working, and it's just awesome. Cool. Now, speaking of moving forward, we're actually going to move nice back segue. as we move forward. Thank you. you they tell me that, they, that it ruins the segue when someone mentions it or calls it out right in the middle, but I think it actually enhances the entire segue experience. It's better for audio. <laughs> It's better for audio, <laughs> probably. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Living Story, uh, Living Season World One, uh, Season One, which has just which finished a few what a month ago, month and a half ago, March. Yeah, yeah. So just a little while ago. Let's uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, Clint. I think you've got the uh, the first question. I feel like I've gotten a lot recently. Do you, I mean, you, I know, you can take but... it if you want. Oh, you okay, take fine. All right, I'm taking the question. Woo! I'm so excited about. <laughs> Uh, so, as you guys were doing the living story, there was a lot of uh, it, it rolled out over a very long time, and you had some just crazy rapid updates. But did the plot ever significantly change, or even just change little bits from the original concept due to community response from patch to patch, or sort of was it like that four month lead time where that was where we could see like community influence or how did that how that work out as you guys were going through? So um, big plot changes uh, would only be able to occur with the four month lead. More micro level uh, increase in say writing acumen or exposition of writing can happen uh, at a, a much higher velocity uh, just to kind of. Um, give a, a, a little bit of understanding before answering the question. So um, in terms of were there any major uh, plot changes based on a community response, um, no, there weren't. That said, we did uh, and we do and we will continue to uh, look at what the community is saying and listen um, and play a game with them and discuss uh, how we think the, the plot is being perceived um, and therefore, changes do come from that. Uh, there were certainly um, some pretty big changes in terms of exposition dependent, uh, based on feedback that we got um, in regard to um, the Living World storyline of Season 1. Uh, and that became more prominent to the community, I think, or more obvious uh, the closer to the end, you know, certainly in 20, 2014, yeah. To the beginning of 2014, sorry, in the end of 
Cool. Which which living story patch from living world patch? Which one got the best reception, whether it be through forums or activity? And what lessons did you learn from like, hey, this is something we can do again. This is definitely hot. Well, I think that um, a, a lot of the events, uh, because, you know, we were really getting on our feet and starting to run. A lot of the events had certain things that large portions of the community really liked. Um, and we learned from those and certainly we'll be moving forward with those learnings. But in terms of, you know, uh, a holistic knocking out of the park, you know, Kite City um, was an example of one. Um, uh, uh, the Marionette uh, were, was another um, uh, escape from L.A. Um, were all, you know, really well received. Um, and, we, you know, we really enjoyed making them. We, put, we had a lot of iteration time on, uh, on those particular um, events. But overall, I think uh, different people like different aspects of them. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to make sure... Uh, I'll tell you one thing that we did learn. We did learn, uh, certainly with Kite City, that um, we can add... Uh, it's okay for us to experiment with different types of gameplay. And people obviously really lo loved going around and finding the crystals and that gameplay. Uh, and so, you know, that was something that, um, that uh, we learned from that particular uh, event. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kite City, is that for Sanctum? I suppose that's what you're referring to. I'm sorry, I'm using in development. Inter names. Internal names. Yeah, I <laughs> shouldn't use that, should I? Zephyr Sanctum, yeah. All right, and, that's, that's and, cool. Uh, Madness. I mean, uh, one thing that we learned from Descent into Madness, was, which was really good, uh, which was the marionette event, was the importance of a sense of discovery. Um, and that was coupled with the need for us to do better exposition around Scarlet. Like, we knew um, what Scarlet was like. Uh, we know why we cared about her as a character, but we needed to do a better job of exposition. So... Uh, you know, uh, Mo, who's our studio head, was talking about, well, you know, why don't we put a, a lair in that the player, it's her private place where the player can go in and um, and learn more about her. And, uh, you know, I ended up writing the journal for that. Um, and we really got to expose another side to her, which we should have really, you know, got in earlier um, about her. Um, and, uh, and But, yeah, I think the timing was still pretty good. So It worked out. The, the lair was entirely Mo's idea. It was his idea to basically add an extra sense of discovery to the world around that event, yeah. Sweet. That's awesome. The lair was very was... cool. Yeah. Just thumbs up on that one. That thing was exciting. Mo moving yeah. moving yeah. from the... Every now and then. Every now and again, he, he knocks it out of the park with some good ideas. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> he better be being the president. <laughs> you yeah. you got you to gotta come out with the big guns firing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so... Kind of going along with the lair, season one started off slow with just kind of the hints and the bits with the flame and frost and such. But then it picked up when we started to get to the lair and the increased exposition. What one thing would you have done differently for season one to either like enhance the release or bring out more of the story now that you look back and have all this hindsight from what happened before well we would have you answered the question we would have um we would have done a better story of ex, uh, a better job of exposing the storyline and um through the writing right from the outset um i think the pacing uh wasn't too bad but i think that um there needed to be more character exposition there needed to be in order to really care about the characters it would have been better for us to have known more about them initially and put them in situations that you know, really uh, help the players to understand where they come from. Um, and uh, I think that if we could look back, we would do that. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's, so, the, it's the fact that you, everyone was still learning, everyone was still adapting. That's what's got me looking forward to season two more than anything. Now that the base is set, the foundation is set, all the teams and such are set, and I'm interested to see where that goes. But we'll get we'll get on to that. We Go will. Ahead, we will, but first, more questions. Uh, with the with the living store or living world, with that, you guys were able to tell a pretty cool story across the board. But some people felt some people missed things. Like for example, I was out in the middle of on a mountain during the first Karka invasion, so I couldn't be there to see the the lighthouse get knocked down. And I was like, ah, oh, well, I was out in the wilderness. It was fun. But do you guys have plans to? 
allow us to relive or retell key moments or various various events from the living world uh, so that we can remember it. And do you guys have any sort of way that you would roll that out beyond, uh, for example, the Atlas is one way, I suppose. I think I think that's that's uh, I think that's a cool idea and something I'll, I'll continue continue to think about. Okay. Cool. Sorry for the short answer. <laughs> that's okay. I figure you you get that sort of question. It's like eh, that one could could go either way. We so, figure some of these will be shorter answers, but if we don't put them in, then the fans will scream. It's true. Certainly, um, I can appreciate the the dilemma, and I I totally understand that. I think you know. I think it would be uh, it would be a great thing to do, and that's something that you know I'll discuss with the team. <clears throat> cool. Right, thank you, sir. Speaking of long answers and short answers, you have <laughs> been posting some incredibly long and actually really good answers and and commentary and discussing with players in the uh, collaborative development initiative on the forums, and so you spearheaded that. And what sorts of effects have that has that had any effects on the immediate living story? or in development in general from what we've seen? And do you have any examples you could give of that? <clears throat> well, yeah, first of all, I want to apologize because there hasn't been a CDI, what, for three months, two months now? I've missed going um, there and checking the forums and being like, oh, what did Chris say today? <laughs> I am going to fire up another one. It's just that we have been so utterly busy that, like I always say in the CDI, if the team doesn't have the time to respond, then all we're doing is lip service. And, um, you know, you get the occasional person just saying it's marketing. And now I want to say, for, for the record, I am not a marketeer. <laughs> so you'll know that I, I, that is not my job. Um, and so, you know, we would be marketeers if we just did it because, well, I don't know, for crazy reasons of like somehow, <clears throat> sorry, um, you know, making people think um, that, that we care when we already, uh, you know, it's clear how much we care already. There's no need to do that through the CDI. So we'll basically be doing we'll be doing that, um, and I'll be putting up another one of those soon. Um, so, how much effect has the CDI had? It's had a massive effect. Um, you know, anyone that plays the game a lot and has seen it evolve will will see little things uh, and big things. Um, you know, one of the most obvious examples in terms of uh, big areas was um, me- you know members of the community CDI group talking about. Uh, it can be disparate for um, an event to occur and then for there to be a feature release and then as part of the same season another event comes out and you lose what was going on and you lose the kind of taste of the theme and, and so on, you know, obviously that's changed. Um, uh, that That's, you know, in part to do with the CDI. Um, there was a massive uh, Living World uh, CDI around uh, writing and storyline um, and three weeks to four, four, you know, three months later, you could see that there was more exposition in the storyline and more kind of synergy between gameplay and writing. Um, you know, that was to do with CDI. There's, you know, we've made changes in a, in a wide variety of areas. Um, some are, you know, are so minute or so hidden in the minutiae of the detail um, and affect the meta or, you know, balance and so on that, that, that they're, they're hard to call out. But um, the CDI is, you know, has uh, affected the game in a positive manner in a great way. And I want to thank uh, the members of the CDR community for really helping us in that. I know it's difficult because I set the um, the paradigm of, you know, I'm not going to talk about what we're working on and I'm not going to talk about what we're working on. But I think the longer the CDI goes on for um, and it, it, it impacting the game, uh, I think that level of trust will increase. So the, thanks to everyone for being so um, patient with me uh, in regard to that. And I'm looking forward to getting back to it and doing uh, doing the next one. Um, and then, you, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, are there any plans to kind of improve the format of the CDI or enhance it? Because right now, it's unless you can, like, just go through the red posts or you pretty much keep your eyes glued on that one forum topic, it's hard to parse out the information both between devs and players. I agree. I mean, one of the good things... Um, is that you actually get to see the flow of the brainstorming um, if you take the time to read all the pages. But, you know, some of the CDI threads were like, I don't know, 70 pages long. I think the Living World storyline was and had 70,000 views or 70 to 100,000 views on it. Um, And, you know, I do take the time to go through it. And that is one of the good things because you get to see 
the flow of the problem solving. You get to see the flow of the brainstorming. You get to understand uh, that this particular member of the community cares very much about this particular area and that he's probably um, a good person to you know dig deeper into some of his thoughts processes and thoughts in regard in regard to how things should change or where things aren't quite working so that's very important I wouldn't want us to ever lose that but to the same extent um, the, the wider the net you cast the more fish you catch so the analogy is the more people that get involved in a problem solving or brainstorming exercise the likelihood the the velocity at which you're going to solve the problem the likelihood is it will be greater and that's the issue we have is that um, the barrier to entry on the CDI is if you see that it's on page 52 um, you're not you know you're gonna you might read the, the three pages previous to that and post a comment that that and I don't mean to be rude by this but uh, really isn't um, kind of aligned or not aligned it isn't really uh, relevant to the flow of the conversation at that time and so those people kind of feel like they're being left out and then they don't come back uh, and that's a shame so yes I would like to see uh, CDI become more accessible um, and more people to get involved in it and not feel like it's um, some kind of elite club or brick wall and uh, uh, or you know I mean the worst thing and uh, this is I, I, this is a personal thing for me that bothers me, but um, um, uh, you know the idea that it might be some kind of marketing exercise um, because they haven't had the time. It's not their fault. Um, the way that the, you know the way that it works, they haven't had the time to basically read 52 pages to see just how much people have contributed and how the flow of, of the discussion has gone. So absolutely, we we have been um, talking about ways to improve the forums specifically in the CDI. Uh, with China and everything and other stuff that we've been working on. Uh, we haven't had that conversation for, I don't know, about a month, but um, we'll be having that conversation again soon. Yeah, I mean, the CDI is massively important to us. The the design team um, and other members, other, you know, I, I manage the design team, so it's, I can say to the designers, you know, take the time to read it. But um, other uh, departments, they also read the CDI, you know, any area of interest, they get in and they post and and they read it too. Uh, so the sheer fact that members of staff are reading people's opinion um, and getting involved in the conversation uh, is more than enough in terms of how valuable it is to the game, never mind going that extra bit, which is ultimately my dream uh, with it, that um, you know, together as a, you know, we problem solve and evolve uh, in, a, in a much more accessible manner to the point where, you know, I think I discussed this in the last CDI, with people saying, oh, you know, it's unfair that I comment on some people's comments and not on others. Ideally, for me, I would like to be able to take away the the dev moniker on the actual uh, thread when I post and just be a member of the CDI and, and, and discuss um, the game with everyone else as a player. To kind of get this element where the CDI would maybe group popular opinions together, or group related opinions together, that way you or any other dev wouldn't have to reply to a person individual you can say like we like this entire set of ideas that's being talked about might it be better to structure it in the form of a message board where you can plus one or like a particular post and then if that gets enough likes now it's at the top of the page and then discussion can drive based upon um, almost like reddit yeah we talked about that the problem with that is um that Many times, you know, the analogy of diamonds in the rough, many times uh, the someone will put a comment up or put an opinion across that isn't at that time popular um, with uh, the community on that particular CDI. Um, and so if we go to uh, a system like that then the, and we only read the most popular comments, then we're not going to be basically drilling into um, commentary or problem solving that could end up being really important for the game. So it's a real catch-22 situation. Um, it's really important to, uh, you know, I draw a line, and this is a slightly different area. I'll draw a line. If I start reading a sentence that's disrespectful to the team, I just won't read anything else after that because I love this team. Um, uh, I love this game and I love our community, and I'm not going to waste my time uh, reading something that the person who's writing it doesn't have the decency to basically... Um, be, uh, I don't know, what would the word be, um, collaborative. But someone that has a commentary that is harsh um, but uh, and, you know, maybe not necessarily the opinion of the majority of the people who are currently contributing to the CDI, 
uh, should not carry less weight than what the popular theme of that CDI is, because at the end of the day, the CDI is about evolving the game and, um, and making the game a better place. And it's also about evol evolving the design acumen of those that contribute to the CDI. And so sometimes it's worthwhile just taking a post and actually working it through. You know, uh, no idea is a bad idea. Um, and working it through, not only to help educate both sides, but also to take that idea and go, hey, you know, you, can, you might actually have a point here. Um, uh, let's basically take this further and go from, uh, and go from there. So it's really difficult. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult kind of conundrum that um, I spend a lot of time thinking about and that we, we think about a lot. One thing that we're going to be able to see at some point in the future, we don't have a specific date for it yet, but Living World Season 2. Uh, there's a few. We've got a few questions for you about it. We even have some from the community that I fielded off Twitter. But first of all, we'd like to uh, know there was a interview recently with uh, Bobby Stein, and he mentioned that the Living World might come in smaller, more compact arcs. And so we're seeing at Relics of War, we're thinking like. Will this be like three-month arcs, four-month arcs? Uh, can you send some light on if that's actually what you guys are looking at or or that? So the, I'm not sure about the context that Bobby was talking about in regards to that. So it, no it was the Living World CDI. Oh, oh there we go. It? I pulled it straight yeah, off your forums. Nice try. You know, uh, in regard to uh, season two, I, you know, uh, your question about season two, I can't. I, that's not something I want to comment on at the moment. I'm afraid. All right, uh, this section might go pretty quick then. It might, but we had to try. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think that? Well, that that kind of negates the next that question. Let's see. So, well, it could be a yes or no. That's true. We can go for yes or no. So this may be a very yes or no section here. Will season two be focused entirely on the war with Mordremoth, or will there be side stories for us to go on with the Biconics? I think we'll, you know, uh, we'll continue to develop the stories of our characters um, moving forward and put them in exciting situations that we can all be part of. And we certainly want to focus uh, a little bit more on the player as a hero as well. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a sidestep on the question, but also a little bit of uh, information. So yeah. there you go. We'll take that. We'll take that. I will, yes, I will indeed take that. Go ahead and uh, go with the All next right. one. Yeah, this was something that was discussed with some of the Living World CDI. Would you guys ever consider doing the Living World story instances? As, we, as we've been seeing them more and more, we got like the open world content that everyone can play in, but then the instances that develop the story themselves. Would you ever consider running them kind of like personal story where you have different options and now you can branch off to like a individual path that will eventually get to the end of whatever arc of the season two but it's it's individual it's yours it's different that's definitely something we would consider all right that's, that's so fine. for example i want to see like the personality system make it so that Majory hates me, uh, or something like that. <laughs> I know some people that would love to make a branching decision where they helped instead of killed Scarlet. That's, well, that's, man, that's, that's too much of a world shift. That's like, oh, hey, at the end of Mass Effect, we didn't kill the Reapers, or do something to that effect. I tried, AJ. I tried. <laughs> you, could, you could think about all the different uh, connotations that that would have. Uh, and debate that, and then get back to me, and we can discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will will Kanak be back, and will he have a major role? He kind of disappeared, and like he's in the prison. No, he got out. Oh, he's out. <laughs> I didn't know this. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Alrighty. All right, here's another one. Living story. It was Living World season one. Left several questions and as un bleh, unanswered, such as who is the mysterious Mister E? I'm still pulling for it being me because my name is Eric and I sign my Twitter handle as Dash E. But that's a completely self-absorbed question. I still like <laughs> to say it's the hero of the people, Evan Nashblade. <laughs> so will will we start to see some of those questions get answered or are you going to keep drawing that out so that we get some nice speculation going and building up over the next 12 years wait no no you just gave him an excuse to sidestep it now you don't know how this works Eric 
I think that um, not not specifically in regard to your question, but um, I think you know it's important to answer questions. That's you know why we put the questions up, and it's important for the players to to work together and with the you know the iconics to uh, get deeper into the law and work out what's going on and have amazing um, adventures and the sense of discoverability, which is nicely segues me to. I'm sure that when people see this, they're going to be like, "Oh, Chris, you know, he he hasn't really answered much about Living World." You know, the Living World Season 2 questions. Well, I'm doing that because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. Um, and because of the, the you know, the, the way that um, our model works in terms of delivering new, um, you know, fan, fantastic and mysterious adventures in the world of Tyria um, and in Guild Wars 2, it kind of goes against the, that, that aspect of discoverability um, and players working together to basically, um, you know, um, find new areas and discover new things uh, and and so on. Um, so I, it's just I don't want to ruin anything for anyone by by going into details like this. And plus, not you know, not everyone's going to see it. So um, yeah, what we're talking about. So it wouldn't be fair. Yeah, that's true. Exploration is a big thing about this game. One one of the core elements, as I would see it, and so I can understand the reasoning to just. Keep keep it tucked tucked under your arm for a little bit longer. So, yeah. speaking of exploration, just a really off the wall question. So, have you, when playing, what was sort of have you had moments in Guild Wars Two where I mean, it's hard for any one person to be like, I know everything that's in this game before it launches. Have you ever had since launch, or even in, when you were running beta, where you just run across something that you were like, oh, you tell I've never seen that before. That? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, uh, Terza and um, some of our uh, some of our designers, Lisa, uh, had built um, uh, an experience called Font of Rand, which I'm not sure that that many players in game will have had the opportunity to actually have played yet. And during development, Mo, myself, um, and uh, a few other uh, members of staff were invited to basically go and check this piece of content out. And um, it basically kicks off in a meta event in the open world and ends up taking you uh, through a, a portal into an open-world dungeon underwater through ruins of a, a, an old kind of temple, um, doing crazy cool puzzles with bubbles, um, and then eventually taking out the boss at the end. Uh, that was an amazing moment, and that really, you know, uh, that's something that, um, you know, we certainly want to, uh, you know, rebuild and, and evolve as we move forward. So that, that really was one of those kind of wow moments of, this is amazing. It's just, uh, I wonder how many players have actually been and done the Font of Rand. Um, and if they haven't, then everyone watching or listening to this should, uh, who knows how to do it, should go and organize uh, and take their friends and other players and show them um, what that piece of content is and how much fun it is and not spoil the puzzle mechanics for them. So See, hard not to spoil the puzzle mechanics. You just want to just get, you get everything easy. But no, it's fun. I do like that puzzle. Well, well, seeing how you're level 12 in China, you ain't got much longer before you can see them all to the font of Rand. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting because it's not exactly the easiest piece of content. You know, there are. Oh. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting to sit there and see how long it takes folks to um, to work out what to do. That said, you know, um, there are uh, other you know media outlets that have guides to it, so hopefully they won't look at those and they'll try and do it by themselves. I mean, other things, you know, um, uh, 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 Crystal, who um, works on our, our, our legendary boss encounters, you know, um, she uh, she led the building of Tequatl. Um, playing that, uh, I know, you know, none of us, uh, I don't know how well known this is, but we didn't kill Tequatl before Tequatl went live uh, internally. That's not how we do our reviews or our balance testing. We don't need to kill it to know um, uh, how well balanced it is, which is interesting, and maybe one day we can do a, a podcast about that, and I can explain um, how that works. But um, I think the first time I killed that with my guild, um, big shout out to Arm on TC. Um, that was uh, an amazing experience as well. And then following on from that, watching them use different mechanics, uh, sorry, different strategies that we hadn't thought of internally um, to take him down faster, and that that was great. So. There are moments like that all over the place. I mean, you know, Marionette as well, playing that live was unbelievably good. I really enjoyed the Tower of Nightmares and the Open World Dungeon. I mean, that's the first time that's been, I think it was, you know, uh, close on 100-man 
uh, open world dungeon the first time that's been done in a very long time and that was great uh, i i miss the living world immensely i love the the feature patch and i'm re- i'm enjoying playing that but i miss the living world and i can't wait for it to uh, start up again um i really am addicted to it so uh you know assuming it is going to start up again i'm not giving any spoilers away here. <laughs> Speaking uh, of the feature patch, so you guys, yeah. Go ahead, you guys uh, have been suggesting that this feature patch is going to come out basically, it sounds like you're planning on living story content feature patch. Is that definitely what you guys are going to be doing moving forward, where you're going to take like a specific time? I've heard that on the forums and a few other places. Is that like you're going forward or? Yeah, so... um. Uh, uh, living world pack, uh, you know, the feature packs will basically uh, appear in between um, seasons. That is correct. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's that's going to round out all the questions that we had. In closing, is there anything in particular, any like tidbits or anything that you want to just share with the Guild Wars 2 community? Um, I, I want to say uh, just thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, the team loves you, loves the community, um, and uh, we can't wait to, uh, you know, get out the next part of our story. Um, we're all very excited. Uh, we're really excited about a global community, Guild Wars global community. That's awesome. Um, and uh, the impact that that's going to have on the game, I, I'm, I'm super excited about that and can't wait to go into my, uh, in, into, uh, back to my desk, which is just through that wall there, and, and start playing again and um you know uh it's been an amazing uh you know it's been an amazing experience on guild wars 2 so far and uh just you know there's a, a heck of a lot more to come um and i'm uh, very excited and keep telling us what you think and we'll keep um we'll keep working to make this the very best online world um that that it can be and to continue to to create magic moments like we were talking about that are not just a fun to play, but inspire people in their in their everyday lives, and that's what we're all about. So, uh, keep us on straight and narrow, and we'll keep delivering great content to you all. All right, great, thank you, Chris. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, I've had, yeah, this is great. Thanks for just opening up to us about the studio and its processes and different lessons that you guys have learned. And we'll wait for season two, I guess. <laughs> all right well, thank for you all for spending the to, for, you know spending the time with us really appreciate it and i uh, hope people speak again soon yeah yes sir for all of those you listening i'm eric and this has been me and melchior and chris whiteside studio design director at arena net relics Hi, of War signing off <laughs> bye <laughs>